0: I just came back from uh, Raipur last week. That whole segment of Chhattisgarh, as you may know, has been backward for a long time. Uh, And there are multiple areas there that have similar problem statements. Bilaspur is just some distance from Raipur, the capital city. So there is a connectivity problem. And again, that aspirational angle of what is needed came through with this doctor. And he came to Bangalore just for shopping. Like, I am going to go to one of the best cities in India, where you have the best technology, the best people, and I'm going to scout on how I can bring a little piece of that back to my hometown. And in fact, he was here for a visit to look for medical equipment. He was certain that this was a pressing need in his region because he was looking for excellence and quality. He wasn't looking on something to save money or to optimize something. He was just looking for the best. And I think that DNA is very central to our cohort of partner hospitals because they just want the best. They don't have the means to get it in the location they are.
1: That was Dili Praman, the founder of Cloud Physician, a company that uses a combination of expert human beings and cutting edge technology to provide remote support to intensive care units in hospitals all across India. I've had the great fortune to visit an ICU supported by Cloud Physician technology. It was fascinating to realize that every patient in that ICU was not only being watched over by local staff, but also by a battery of machines and remote intensive care experts or intensivists at Cloud Physician's care center in Bangalore. But more on Cloud Physician later in this episode, on with the epic story. In all my conversations for this podcast, one word echoes consistently when exploring India's epicenters, aspiration. Aspiration fuels people and communities to dream bigger, do more, and to build a brighter future for us all. I'm Siddhan Vadakut, and welcome to the Epic Podcast. Today, I'm taking you to Bilaspur, which, like countless other towns across India, is full of dreamers. But these dreams are not distant, but within reach. Here, aspirations turn into reality every day individually and collectively, paving a future of transformative growth for not just the city of Bilaspur, but for all of India. This is further proof that the next wave of economic growth will go beyond big cities like Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore, but instead will be found in places like Sirsa, Keda, Katak, Belgom, and Bilaspur. Let's hear from Chinmay, a realtor who has lived in many cities, but has now come back to his hometown, Bilaspur. Oh, it has changed. I mean, earlier, let's say the radius of the city was over three kilometers.
2: Today, I would say it goes up to almost 10. This boom in housing, commercial properties as well. All the brands, at least the regular kind of brands, you know, like Reliance, these kind of, uh, you know, hypermarkets and all that have opened here. See, I'm only an entrant into this industry from 2016. Until then, I was just doing my job wherever I was. So from what I can see, there was a latency in demand until 2020. Post-COVID, either the lending rates have gone down or whatever has happened. Because see, during COVID, everybody, all economies pumped in money into the system, right? Like we reduced our interest rates and all that. So that has led to a glut of capital in the market. Now that is slowly, slowly waning off, but that resulted in a boom. If you see now in these smaller towns, you see a retail boom here. You see a lot more new properties being let out to these uh, retail chains. So that's where the boom that I see. I don't know how long that will persist. But as of now, we can see and a lot of private capital has come into the retail and especially the startup ecosystem. Like Rebel Foods has now it has come into Velasperm or other cloud kitchens have opened here. So, so, those are indicators of expanding economic activity, right?
1: Biraspur is a vital, vibrant district, nestled in the heart of Chhattisgarh. With a population of over 1.6 million, it serves as the industrial and commercial hub of the state. The city sits along the banks of the Arpa River, which boasts a scenic, vibrant landscape. Known for its thriving agriculture and trade, Bilaspur is home to the headquarters of the Southeastern Coal Fields, the most profitable subsidiary of Coal India. Renowned for its cement factories, it's also part of the Smart Cities mission, making Bilaspur a key player in Chhattisgarh's economic and developmental landscape. Despite being a bustling economic hub, Bilaspur is viewed with the same misconception that so many of India's small towns and cities are loaded with. The mainstream view is that people are reluctant to pay for quality services in smaller towns due to perceived lower income levels. This false perception often steers entrepreneurs towards the big cities and away from smaller towns like Bilaspur, Sirsa, and Kedah, where in reality, there is a throbbing undercurrent of economic activity. However, the reality is quite different. Vipul Rawal, a partner at Elivar Equity, Challenges this misconception, providing a different lens to view market dynamics as they are on the ground. And Bipple tells a story from the perspective of his own hometown, Sirohi.
3: Well, the stories are as simple as things like people are willing to pay for quality, even if it means they have to figure out resources for that payment but it's just that people feel that uh, given their income levels they judge them for their income levels and feel that they're not they don't have enough disposable income and take purely that lens and say that there's not enough capacity to pay for something which is of quality and therefore they end up relying on informal services which are either much lower in quality or much farther in distance and things like that. So that is a big frustration. In fact, the point that, for example, take that walker in the past, people would have been comfortable. If they need a walker, then they would still make the trip of spending two times the amount of that commodity itself in the travel. Additionally, is the significant proof of demand. Right. And despite that, there's no service that was available. And that is a big frustration and the misconception that people are not willing to pay. They don't have enough income while people were actually willing to pay more than that. People are still paying more than that in the form of the additional cost in terms of travel. For example, if they need a health care today, take Siroi itself, for example. The nearest healthcare facility where when my father had to be admitted, and the nearest MRI was available only in Udaipur, which was three, four hours away, and significant additional cost of travel. And not just that for his own travel, but people who had to be with him and caretake with him, the travel of those folks and their overnight stay costs and all that, it adds so much of cost, but people still have to spend that kind of money to get those services. While if the service was available much more closer, they could have afforded for those. But there is significant proof of demand, there is significant proof of willingness to pay, but at the same time, it's visible only when someone really makes the trip. And goes on ground, right? Otherwise, sitting at a remote location, it's hard to know what kind of quality of demand and strength of demand exists out there.
1: An example of a company that is solving for both access issues and providing a high quality service is Cloud Physician. Let's go back to that voice you heard at the beginning of this podcast, to one of the co-founders of Cloud Physician, Dr. Dilip Raman. Just to give you an idea, there are about 3
0: lakh ICU beds in the country and people who are trained intensivists like me and my co-founder, it's probably less than 4,000 people like that. So there is a huge mismatch between what an ICU should be and what it is today. And it's even more stark in tier two and tier three cities. So what we do is we convert an ICU bed into a smart ICU bed. And a smart ICU bed is defined as A bed that has access to the skill set that you require, the people, has access to the process and has upgraded tech that actually supports all of this. So what that means is, today, 9 out of 10 times if you're in an ICU, you're actually not seeing an ICU specialist, also called an intensivist. We change that. We make sure that if a patient is there in an ICU bed in some form they have access to an expert which they deserve because they are in the icu they need an icu specialist that is the problem that we solve
1: cloud physician helps patients in some of india's smallest towns to receive life-saving care thanks to an innovative use of technology Dilip explains how cloud physician is a disruptor not simply because of the use of technology but because of the way in which they identify an audience in underserved communities. Today in healthcare,
0: the key is to just make sure three simple things happen. One is you make sure that you get the data to the right person. The right person in this case is the intensivist. The second thing you make sure is you make sure that the data gets to that person at the right time because it's critically important for the sake of time. And the third piece is, just make sure that that insight from that person goes to the right place. The right place may be a small town in Chhattisgarh or in Assam, it doesn't matter. So right person, place and time. Actually, that's what we do. So we have just, think of it as the Ford Model T for healthcare, where we've broken down the assembly line and we are doing this uh, transfer of information which is timely and connected to the right people. So when a sick patient comes to the ICU, Uh, we first need to know that that patient is sick. So the bedside doctor will relay the information to us through all the lab tests that they have done, either electronically or through the app that we've provided to them. We have direct camera access, high-definition video to understand the status of the patient and how they're doing. And this then goes to the right person on the other side of the spectrum who can then immediately talk to the doctor at the bedside and instruct them in real time. The idea is that it's more about stitching all of this together. And this is where the tech is behind the scenes. We are not saying that we are this magnificent AI ML company, but we use all these tools. So our camera runs on computer vision networks that can automate a lot of the data capture. Our note writing is based on generative AI, which is the buzzword. But really, what we have strung together is operational artificial intelligence. We are using AI for operational stuff with a human in the loop, which makes it that much more productive. So our one intensivist now that used to take care of 10 patients a day can now take care of 80 to 100 patients a day.
1: As I mentioned before in this podcast, I've had the great fortune to witness one of the ICU supported by Cloud Physician, specifically a neonatal ICU. Supporting babies, some of India's most vulnerable patients. What's remarkable about this technology is that nurses and doctors can communicate with a specialist within seconds through the cloud physician system. This is healthcare for all without compromising on quality. Cloud Physician and Elevar Equity's shared values brought them together on this mission to make a lasting impact in India's epicenters. The success of businesses like Cloud Physician shows that people want to pay for better quality services for themselves and for their families. Now, this might be surprising to some listeners because we're all used, no thanks to mainstream media, to viewing underserved communities through the rubric of income. When we start to look at epicenters of change like Bilaspur through the lens of transaction, rather than just income, the size of the opportunity here and throughout India becomes much more clear. Elava's entrepreneurs both understand the opportunity and have a burning passion to create real impact in people's lives. It takes a particular kind of person and a particular kind of organization to take on this kind of work because of the misconceptions around the customers they are serving. Now few understand these challenges and the dynamics around these choices better than Jyotsna Krishna, managing partner at Elevar. She describes the kind of relentless determination required to work in a sector where few see the opportunity and the potential that they do. These entrepreneurs are truly visionary.
4: That word is an important word because uh, they are visionaries and you need to be a visionary to power through a lot of negative perception about this market, right? You need that self-drive that you can go through 99 out of 100 investors saying, no, there's no potential here and yet believe there is something here to make work. So that visionary is probably this conviction in this market is required. I also think the connect with a certain mission or purpose, etc., is a good driver that keeps the business focused and honest. But what you will also observe in our entrepreneurs is none of them are pure visionaries. They're extremely detail-oriented they have the ability to make really tough decisions. And honestly, for me, the best example is the COVID crisis. We did not have to spend a lot of time with our entrepreneurs to figure out how they will manage their cash runways or how they will manage their business, etc. All of them have gone through cycles in business to know how to handle crisis, how to have tough conversations, how to do the right thing with a longer term objective in mind. So it's a curious and a very important balance to have which is very much tied to realism on the ground, very much tied to what it takes to execute in tough, complex, uncharted territory as far as markets are concerned, very strong discipline on regulatory compliance governance matters, and at the same time, a never-ending drive internally, which is driven by the hope that there is a shift that can happen within the next several years.
1: Through the course of this podcast, I've had the chance to speak with Jyotsna many, many times. She's someone who's witnessed so many changes over the course of her career. Jyotsna joined Elevar in 2011. And since then, she's seen firsthand, the ebbing and flowing of sectors, policy, business and entrepreneurs. Now microfinance is a case in point. Today, it's an essential part of the lives of millions of people in building assets and growing businesses. Now these are customers who even today are often excluded from conventional finance channels because they are not seen as financially stable. But what Jyotsna found when she visited these customers was a very different story.
4: Most people told me that that's not a space I should look at. Not that I was looking to move to microfinance, but that's all one could relate to from an impact investing standpoint back then. For me, if flashback when I met people on the ground I didn't think that resilience was going away anywhere. So for me, the ups and downs of an industry felt Temporary And therefore, the call to move was not a debate in my head. The first thing I did when I joined Elevar was in the hot month of May, I went around visiting a lot of customers on the ground in Tamil Nadu, etc., etc. And it was fascinating to meet MSME businesses and borrowers of companies that my previous organization or any bank for that matter would not have touched because they did not trust customers who did not have formal documented income track record. And when you go and talk to people on the ground, you realize that the word formal is also based on what is formally known. It's like saying intelligence is only what lies in textbooks, but that's not what intelligence is defined as. When you go down to weavers in Tamil Nadu, you realize there's a master weaver. You realize there's a whole community that renegotiates contracts formally once in three years. You know, there's a system. The master weaver has records of how weavers have taken advances, returned money, have been productive. And all that is absolute intelligence on how to think about credibility of the borrower. But none of it is formal. Right. Now, at that point, it became very obvious that you could either sit inside an institution that is defining formality and therefore is restrictive in how they think about the world. Or that's the reason why entrepreneurs have stepped out. Seasoned business leaders have stepped out of the larger institutions to say, I am going to redefine what defines credibility of an individual, of a small business, of a household.
1: By gaining insight from the ground, suddenly these perspectives shift. The customers Jyotsna met were organized, they were savvy, they were discerning. The systems they used were formal, but they were just not recognized as such by traditional institutions.
4: So at that point, it became very real. Since then, I would not say there are surprises. That was my one and only a validating and, and surprising moment and after that it's only been impressive you're always smiling now when you hear of parents investing in cricket coaching for kids you, you have a big smile on your face but it's not a surprise anymore it's something you know but then it's always a surprise when you talk to other people about it because they're like We didn't know this. We didn't know women were more active. We didn't know women were taking decisions. We didn't know women were part of the shops and economic activity on the ground. So all of that is surprising to other people. But sometimes you have to remember to mention things which may feel obvious in your head.
1: Many, many such surprises await you when you look at these epicenters. A small shift in perspective and suddenly you see an explosive epicenter of growth, transformation and optimism. One measure of just how economically vibrant these communities are is the success and profound impact of Cloud Physician. Dilip explains the success and his vision for the future when we spoke to him in September 2023.
0: Crossed 1000 beds in our network, and that's across about 100 towns and cities. And this is about 130 hospitals or so we're adding close to 15 to 20 a month. So that number is going to keep increasing. But I know it sounds good, but from our perspective, we're just scratching the surface. India has 40,000 hospitals of this kind. And we know for a fact that they need service and care. So I think that journey is good. And so far, we have seen and taken care of about 70,000 ICU patients across the network. And many of those are like the story that I shared with you. I think that's what drives us. And, And when you have this data set, it actually can inform you for better things that you're building that can enhance your efficiency, your accuracy, and your ability to take care of patients at scale. I think that our model of delivering cost-effective, high-quality care needs to be replicated. And the problem is big enough that everybody needs to band together to do it. Now, the interesting thing is that in India, we could solve global technology requirements by becoming the hub for global IT services. And if you draw Venn diagrams... You will see that maybe China has the people, but it doesn't have the soft capital or the language clout to pull this off. The U.S. has talent, but it's too expensive for the rest of the world. You are never going to get a fully trained U.S. doctor to deliver care to rural Kenya because it doesn't make business sense. But if you triangulate all this, India has the people. We have incredible talent. We have the tech chops. And we have the social capital to be accepted across the world. So I think what we need is the model that has to be developed in-house that can go to any country to provide equitable care. Because if it can work in Motihari, it's a placeholder for the rest of the world. And that's our vision. How can we be the virtual hospital, not just for India, but provide equitable healthcare where we can go? And if you scale this, Sure, we were an IT revolution, but that IT revolution is just the foundation on which another revolution is going to come. And that's care for all.
1: It is this boom of opportunity that encouraged Bilaspur resident Chinmay, who we heard from at the start of this podcast, to move back to his hometown. Like Dilip, he saw an opportunity and we asked Chinmay to tell us his top five reasons to invest in Bilaspur.
2: Well, the rate of return is higher here. That's the case with any smaller town. This is from a real estate perspective. Now, whether you look at the rental rate, normally in a big city, say in Mumbai or something like that, let's say you buy a one bedroom apartment for say 1.2 to 1.5 CR. Your rental receipt from that would be 40-50 grand. The same amount of money invested here will get you more. In a nutshell, this is the simplistic way of explaining it. Similarly, appreciation is more here. Today you buy a property in a big town, it doesn't appreciate much. The rates, more or less, even in Delhi or any other bigger town you go to, or even Bangalore, as a matter of fact, have kind of stabilized. Whereas rate stability hasn't happened in these kind of towns. It is still going uh, like that. Stability level is yet to be attained. It will stabilize maybe in another five years or eight years. Till now, Abita, there is a lot of movement. There's Less pollution. If you want to increase your life expectancy, then smaller towns are better. Since you have all the you know basic facilities are there now, even in a place like Bilaspur, you have a polo hospital, right?
1: Which I'm sure, which you may not have known. So health-wise as well, your things are taken care of. What we've heard time and time again throughout this podcast, through every episode of this podcast, is the potential in building for these epicenters. But what does it really take? To build these businesses, I went back to ask Dilip what his experience has been. I would say being problem centric
0: first before building anything is a good thumb rule, especially if you're getting into tech, because very quickly you can build a tech solution that actually doesn't solve a problem. And we've seen that in healthcare quite a bit. In fact, it's very unlikely that you will see a fresh engineering team or a graduate say that, I want to solve a problem in the ICU, because it's complex, it's high risk. And they would tend to go towards medium to low acuity options. And again, I think going to the problem first is a definite piece of advice I would give because we've seen too many tech companies that are, they have a solution and are looking for a problem rather than actually spending a good deal of time at the bedside identifying the problem that will get them paid and will solve real issues that people face. I think in healthcare, by far, that would be the thing that I
1: would suggest. Over the last five episodes, we've journeyed across vast landscapes, from Sirsa to Keda, Katak to Belgom, and now in this episode, we arrived at a final destination, Bilaspur. I hope you've enjoyed this journey. We call this podcast epic because it sums up the incredible economic potential of these industrious communities. Over the last five episodes, I've taken away so much from this journey. I've spoken to remarkable people, great entrepreneurs, proud residents of these epicenters and the people at Elevar Equity. But I think my greatest takeaway is that there is tremendous economic change and opportunity happening all across India as we speak. And much of this opportunity and this energy remains untapped. What will it take? It will take the right attention, the right narratives, the right entrepreneurs supported by the right capital. When all of these things come together, I think what we will see is intergenerational prosperity and titanic transformation across these epicenters all over India. Thank you for joining me on this epic adventure. I'm your host, Sidin Vandakut. May we meet again soon with more epic stories from epicenters all over India. For more information and more episodes, check out the episode description or go to alvarequitycom slash epic